0: Hello family, welcome to Inner Guidance Daily, a podcast of daily inspiration to help you clear the clutter, the noise of our busy lives. I care about you connecting to your own inner guidance so you can begin to hear your own truths. I'm your host, Lauren Lee, Certified Meditation Guide. Join as I connect with leading experts in various fields who have tuned into their own inner guidance successfully. How do they do it? Why does this work? You'll find out in the show. I'll drop in guided meditations weekly to help you along your journey. I am so glad you're here. Join me daily and connect to your inner guidance. Welcome, Inner Guidance Daily family. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited you're here with me today. I have a very special guest. We have Dr. Shalu here she is American board, on the American Board of Internal Medicine, American Board of Obesity Medicine, a certified well coach. I literally feel like you do it all. And I'm excited to have you here today. So a very warm welcome to you. Thank
1: you so much, Lauren, for having me here today. I am really excited to be here and to uh, talk to your audience.
0: Yay. I'm excited to hear too. I wanted to dive right in and share a little bit one about how i got introduced to you but also wanted to talk about the benson henry institute which we will let you dive into but i reached out to the benson henry henry institute because i was so uh inspired and and really intrigued by the work that's being done there and then i got introduced to you which is why we're chatting today which is such a pleasure um, do you would you be able to break down to us what is the ben- Benson Henry Institute and what are the benefits of this institute and the research they've done on the mind body connection and on meditation? Sure. Um, so I, I want to tell you a
1: little, just a little story about um, how I got to know the Benson Henry Institute. Um, I am an internal medicine doctor, so I've been doing primary care since I finished my residency in 1998. And when I went to medical school and did my residency, this was absolutely not the training that we had received. Um, and uh, we were very, very good at obviously, you know, telling our residents how we should treat high blood pressure, treat high cholesterol, and manage diabetes. Um, so my career in primary care was really that diagnosis and the treatment. And um, through years, I guess, decades of managing patients with chronic diseases and and enduring my own stressors along the way, um, I came across a brochure uh, for the Benson Henry Institute um, at Harvard CME, I want to say probably about 12 or 13 years ago. And um, I was super excited about it because it was something that I really knew nothing about. Um, I went to a, a week-long conference at the time which was it's now a three-day conference um, and what was really astounding to me was to learn how the the part of uh, promoting health in primary care which should, Really, be a part of our medical school curriculum, and I think it is becoming now more so every day. Was teaching patients how to invest in their own self care, and um, I remember Dr. Benson when he had presented one of the slides in talked about this three-legged stool, and and how this you know the two legs of um, the stool were. Procedures and pharmaceuticals, which is basically what we emphasize on in our current medical in the healthcare system, um, but the self care leg of the stool was completely lacking, and uh, and that's when I became really excited about the mind body medicine. And uh, what was what was really intriguing to me was also that I, I grew up. Um, I am of a. a, a I was born in India. I grew up in Hong Kong actually, uh, but I'm very religious. My mom actually had taught us all how to meditate since I was probably 10 years old. But I really didn't understand anything more other than what my mom had said, that it helps everything. and um uh, this so when i had finally arrived at the uh, mind body medicine conference that was really the first introduction that i had to the evidence behind meditation and why she was right because <laughs> it does actually help everything <laughs> so so that's how i arrived at the benson henry institute and uh but years fast forward years later um i started uh really focusing on the self-care strategies with my patients all through um, the last decade. And um, when I decided to leave primary care and start my practice in obesity medicine, um, I was um, approached um, by the medical director at Benson-Henry Institute uh, for a part-time position at the Benson-Henry and, and of course, I couldn't even imagine anything better. So that's how I ended up there and I'm there part-time. and. Um, and the rest of my my week is at my private practice and weight management, which integrates very well with the mind body medicine work that I do at Benson Henry. Um, so that's um, a very long answer to what you had asked. But uh, but in in terms of the research, um, what was uh, really just phenomenal to me, but um, Dr. Benson's probably one of his very first books was Relaxation Response, which I had read, probably you know in probably 15 or 20 years ago. And and even then, um, I was intrigued by how he coined this term, the relaxation response. And essentially, in in Dr. Benson, if you're not familiar with him, is he's a retired cardiologist. And in the 60s and 70s, his research initially had started on patients who had hypertension. And the work that he had done was um, to study individuals who had been practicing transcendental meditation at the time and how that affected their physiology and realized that it had a tremendous impact on lowering their blood pressure as well as their pulse and respiratory rate. And and subsequently, uh, fast forward many uh, research studies, uh, we now know the stress response, which um, also known as a fight or flight response is you know, predominantly made of our stress hormones, which is our sympathetic nervous system that gets activated. Um, and Dr. Benson at the time had really, when he coined the term relaxation response, is really referring to what he knows as a counteract counteracted, um, um, I guess, it's the, uh, it's the autonomic nervous system, which is the opposite of the stress response, let me put it that way, um, known as a parasympathetic nervous system predominant. Um, so, But um, now we know since then that the relaxation response can be elicited not just through meditation, but many other practices.
0: And a lot of questions are coming to mind and I'm, I'm have two, uh, one, why is self-care missing? What, and what, maybe what do somebody listening right now, what would be your best advice in in terms of taking initiative? Where should you go to like find research or find the right direction on knowing that third leg, you know, and getting the right information. Do you get that from your doctor? Do you get it from a wellness coach? Uh, what's your best advice? So, that's an excellent
1: question, Lauren. Um, and I will say that um, the clinicians who were trained back in the 80s and 90s, and when I was trained, certainly that was not a big part of our education. Um, I think we all know that even as medical providers, we're probably the worst at our own self-care. And and I think now that this is becoming much more a part of mainstream um, medical education, um, I think that the newer generation of providers are definitely more in tune with what is self-care. So I think that it's um, very reasonable to think that you could talk to your primary care doctor about what can I be doing to improve my health and well-being, But certainly, um, there are now wellness coaches um, that are also instrumental in helping folks change behaviors that can help improve their self-care and, and you know, improve their overall well-being.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. I think sometimes people are confused, you know, like, is a wellness coach certified? Is it, you know, better to take advice from my doctor? You know, I think knowing that you can do both, right, sounds like a, a great first step.
1: Well, I think the difference between them is, um, so I'm very passionate about behavior change. And I think that one of the things that um, that's also not emphasized in our medical school training is, is how to help our patients with behavior change. So one thing that physicians or any really clinicians, I should say, because there's um, other clinicians who see patients as well, like nurse practitioners at the mid levels, but um, you, we are very good at advising our patients on what they should be doing. So in terms of their exercise, having a balanced plate, uh, getting enough sleep and then working on their stress management, but we're not really great at helping our patients in, in helping them actually make those behavior changes. And behavior change, as you know, is is really difficult. Um, you know, you know it. It um, it behavior change in it, for anyone is hard because if it's something that they've been doing, say, all their lives. It, having, having been told that they need to now start moving more or start eating better or maybe stop you know, doing fast food just overnight is going to be a really hard sell. And I think what coaches are tremendous at is helping our patients, you know, step by step, making those small changes that ultimately last in the sustainable um, behavior changes So, and and the other big piece is that as clinicians, we don't have a lot of time in an office visit to really be addressing how we can help our patients move along those um, different stages of changes. Whereas with a coach, there can be more frequent visits. So just like a therapist may be able to see someone weekly, um, a coach can certainly do more frequent follow-ups and really help people along.
0: I think that clarification is so important. So thank you for breaking that down, because I think that makes a lot of sense that it's like two people working together. You know, you're working with your doctor and you're working with a coach to help you along the way.
1: Right. It's absolutely a team approach, Lauren. Yeah. I think that in generally, um, we should be approaching all preventative care as a team, you know, between your primary care doctor and your nurse practitioner. Um, and, you know, hopefully a health coach, if they can be involved and they are starting to become more and more integrated now in primary care practices.
0: That's very cool. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your own experience with meditation. Like now you had it as a young kid and then, you know, your mom telling you what to do. And sometimes I'm a mom and which most of the listeners know when I tell my daughter to do something, she's like, whatever, (laughs) um, (laughs) And then you saw the research and then I'm sure you've seen examples from your patients, right? Who have maybe started to meditate or family or colleagues or something like that. Um, Tell us a little bit about your journey through meditation and just share, you can share a story or anything that you think would be interesting for us to know.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I think one of my earliest memories probably... um, is from the time when I had probably just completed residency. I can't say I ever really took my mom's advice and meditated on a regular basis (laughs) until um, my my own stress physiology was very activated and and certainly um, going through um, medical school residency and then becoming an attending physician the first year was, was definitely a stressful time in my life. Um, and as I started to really invest in my own self-care and, and I feel very fortunate that I had the ability and I had the tools that I needed to help support me at the time, um, I did start um, really engaging in a meditation practice on a regular basis. And not only did I find that it really helped with my outlook on just on life in general um, but also really helped with sort of self-regulation as as i you know found that i was less able i was i was more able to control like the stress eating we talk about i suddenly had the desire to start taking up new activities i took up tennis that year Um, started really focusing on my health in other areas. So the other pillars of lifestyle. So the exercise, the nutrition, you know, trying to get more sleep, which of course, ultimately all very much supported me. Um, So, so mom was right. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and I've certainly seen it with my own patients. Um, What's really wonderful about the Benson Henry Institute is that we have a a program called the SMART program. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but SMART just stands for stress management and resiliency training. Um, And it is an eight week program. And generally there's three core elements to the program. The first being um, just teaching um, patients uh, techniques where they're able to elicit the relaxation response through either meditation or other practices like meditation or the mind body therapy practices. And then the the second component is our stress awareness, just understanding how we react under stress. And then the third component is learning adaptive perspectives on how we can be responding in a more positive way. And uh, what's remarkable about this program is that we have patients who um, come in for all variety of symptoms from Having anxiety, depression, chronic pain, migraines, IBS, insomnia—you name it—and um, and no matter what the um, reasons for going into the smart program, we have consistently found that patients benefit tremendously with improvement of their physical symptoms and then their overall well-being. Um, in fact, there was a, a wonderful study, uh, a paper with by Dr. Stahl that showed patients who went through the SMART program um, had a significant decrease in their medical visits, so decrease in healthcare utilization as a result of completing this. So, and and I've seen it firsthand, of course, for my patients who have been through the SMART program um, and have benefited tremendously and objectively too, we have a lot of patients who get referred for hypertension, which is high blood pressure. And, um, and we see them, you know, with with more sort of normalizing and lowering the blood pressure when they are consistently engaging in mind-body therapy practices.
0: It's so fascinating. And it's like, I don't know if people really truly understand what stress does to the body and to the mind. Can you tell us what, what is happening when we're under Constant states of stress.
1: Yeah. So um, I think you've probably heard um, the fight or flight response, right? So, um, so in ter- you know, in, in terms of like an acute stressful situation, um, physiologically, as I had alluded to earlier, um, our sympathetic nervous system gets activated, and historically, this was meant to help us get out of harm's way. So when there is an imminent threat, like having a lion in front of me <laughs> and I need to get away quick, physiologically, my blood pressure is gonna go up, my heart rate's gonna increase, I may break out into a sweat. And certainly the, um, the blood's getting diverted away from your gastrointestinal system and it is gonna go towards your, you know, to your heart, your, your brain, your muscles and really help you in that acute situation to get away quick. (laughs) And um, and you can imagine in an acute situation, this is gonna be super helpful, but for for the chronic stressors, for the everyday sort of the minor stressors that are happening in our daily lives, like watching the news (laughs) um, or, or getting disturbing emails or being in traffic, you can see how our stress response sometimes can get continually activated, and as a result, the prolonged exposure to these stress hormones obviously will result in detriment of our health and our overall well-being. And so, certainly, we'll see um, patients present with the myriad of symptoms from anywhere from hypertension, which I always find interesting that. Um, The word hypertension for high blood pressure really, you know, it's hyper and it's tension, right? So it's very much fueled by our activated stress physiology. So, um, and then uh, we often will see digestive uh, issues that again are are affected by the prolonged exposure to stress hormones, and definitely we will encounter patients who have decrease in their immunity because we know that stress has a huge impact on our inflammatory response and it will affect our immune system. And um, and of course, as a result, affect healing as well. Um, And then mental health is is again, another really big symptom of of having an overactive stress response. It's not unusual that people will develop anxiety or depression or end or both.
0: And do you, is this global or is it like really focused here in, you know, in America or in Europe or like, is this everybody under this much stress? I I think so. I think so. I, I, I don't know
1: of anyone. I mean, I mean, stress, stress can be a good thing, right? So yes, we all want to have a, a, um, stress response that gets activated because there are times we actually, it does serve us. So when you're preparing for an exam, right? Or if you need to be sharp and ready to go, it definitely helps us to concentrate better and get moving. So we all have that ability to mount a stress response unless for any reason, you know, and endocrinological reasons that you're not able to mount the stress response. Um, But so it is prevalent everywhere. It's worldwide. And I don't know anyone really that does not get affected by having an overactive stress response, especially in the world that we're living in. And especially with COVID (laughs) recently.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I... I wasn't going to touch on COVID because I think people are just inundated with information. Yes. It keeps coming up like in my own mind, as you're talking, you know, from your, you know, professional uh, advice and experience, how does one handle this stress? Like what tips do you have for us in being able to navigate and maybe also recognize stress, like those tiny micro stressing moments or what your body might be experiencing how do you think people can handle the stress of COVID, the pandemic, the uncertainties? Well, I think so. One of the things that
1: um, I think is really important to understand is stress awareness. Um, oftentimes, when I, when I when I when I was in primary care, um, majority of my visits was somehow, some way related to either having an overactive stress response, but what was really interesting was um, patients don't often know that they're under stress, right? Um, So, you know, when you bring that up, people's, usually people's response is, well, I'm not under any stress right now because everything's going really well. You know, I'm really happy, I've got, you know, great family and financially stable, but, you know, stress can present in, in different ways. And it doesn't have to be that you have to have an elevated blood pressure or you have to have an effect on your immune system. It can present with really just even behaviors. So we all know that when we are under um, chronic stress, that will have an impact on our behaviors. We know that when we're under chronic stress, sometimes we may have an impact on our emotions. So sometimes just feelings of either frustration, anger, um, irritability, or behaviors like maybe eating too much or not sleeping enough or not wanting to exercise. Um, All of those behaviors can be tremendously impacted by how we're feeling under that stress response. And um, just the ability to self-regulate goes away when you're under that kind of stress response. So I think it's really important to understand what that stress awareness is. How am I feeling in this moment? For some of us, we, we only have um, stress symptoms in our musculoskeletal system. So you may, may carry it in our neck, our shoulders get tight, or our back starts to hurt because we're tensing or for some patients it's a TMJ, like if your jaw starts to hurt or headaches, tension headaches or migraines. So you could have either physical symptoms, you could have behavioral symptoms, like even smoking or alcohol use, or you could have emotional symptoms. So I think it's really important to tune in with what those stress awareness signals are for you. Um, And I'm forgetting your second part of the question, Lauren, was, um, and how do we address
0: that? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you know, so somebody's like, okay, I'm following you, I I can notice now I have all these different buckets that stress can show up for me, Mm -hmm. what would be your tip or your, you know, what would remedy or to do for people who are like, okay, I think I am too stressed out right now, what would be the best to do in that moment? Yeah, so I think when you're in an acute stressful
1: situation, um, our tendency generally is to, to respond to situations in a very sort of automatic reflex kind of way, which may not always be the most productive way. So I think it's really important to understand when, a, when there is an imminent or perceived threat, there's not always an actual threat, sometimes it's just a perceived threat. Um, But when you recognize that, it's important to just stop, take a deep breath, and just reflect. And then choose, instead of reacting to our stressors in a, you know, just a reflex sort of way, um, I think a perfect example of that would be like road rage, right? When um, you're sitting in traffic, you're, under, you're just stressed out, you're trying to get to a meeting. And I've seen people get out of their cars and start you know, swearing or they're honking. And you could see that they're just kind of reacting. Um, and, uh, and I think it is really important to just just be aware of what may be happening And then just choose appropriately of how you're going to respond, because certainly when we respond in in that kind of way, like when we get out of our car and we're swearing at someone, that really doesn't help because that only activates your stress physiology further. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, if you react in a more positive, constructive way, and that only leaves you with having more sort of positive emotions, Right? Um, so that would be one thing. And then I think what's super helpful for all of us to be doing on a regular basis is really investing in our self-care that help to support us in, in building these tools of how we can be more effective in our coping skills. Um, and these uh, and the other tools really include our self-care strategies. So sleep, is absolutely crucial. Um, we all know that when we're deprived of sleep, we tend to be irritable. <laughs> we tend to be a little bit short. <laughs> so um, I, I think it's, it's absolutely necessary, it's something that we don't take seriously because we feel like we can stay up and on social media a little bit longer, and, uh, and compromise that sleep. But um, I, I highly, highly recommend everybody get at least seven and a half at the minimum of hours a night. And um, and then of course, uh, what we eat has a huge impact on our mood. And uh, we all know that our gut microbiome has a huge influence on how much serotonin uh, levels we have in our body and, um, and and really feeding our gut the right kinds of food. of so a healthy diet is also super helpful. And then of course, exercise, I can't say enough about, right? Because exercise is medicine and, um, and there's probably no other better way of you know, helping your stress physiology than with regular exercise. And then of course, um, practicing what we call the relaxation response as Dr. Benson has coined, um, we we all should have a meditation practice on a daily basis. And I think it's really hard for people to, to really integrate that into their daily lives. And we do recommend everybody start even with a short practice, if they have to start their day or end their day with one and then build up on that because ultimately we weren't born to know that we have to get up and brush our teeth every morning. So that was something that, you know, obviously our parents taught us and told us this is what we do. And and now, you know, when I'm telling my patients this, I'm like, this is just over time becomes just like brushing your teeth. And it should be, because it should be part of your self-care. We don't question brushing our teeth and we shouldn't question having a a meditation practice. Um, But in addition to that, um, it is important throughout our day to be doing what we call mini relaxation response exercises. And we call them minis at Benson Henry. And, um, And really these can just be pauses in your day where you stop to breathe because so many of us under chronic stress don't breathe efficiently right? We are just doing those shallow breaths throughout our day, holding our breaths and, and just pausing to take even five deep breaths really goes a long way. So, you know, a mini can be really anything from five breaths to an under a 10 minute So maybe when you're standing in the elevator, because there's nothing else you can really do in the elevator other than look at your phone, which I find people doing, which can be more stressful, but maybe instead of looking at your phone, you might wanna do a mini, You know, take some deep breaths. Maybe when you're waiting for your computer to turn on for the day, maybe that's when you do a mini. Um, So I like to have set reminders on my phone. So sometimes like a New York Times notification helps me remind me to do a mini, <laughs> maybe before I read the news. Um, so, so I think it's really important to have these strategies in place to help counteract our stress physiology.
0: I mean, this is all such amazing advice. Thank you so much. I think two things, having a mini, like pu- you know, putting in those mini practices uh, throughout your day is really very smart and something that anybody, well, you can attempt, right? To integrate that into your life. And then also the word and the phrase self-care strategy, I think is also really inspiring that you can take on, you know, we put strategies together for like everything, business, school, how am I going to strategize this job interview, you know, but then putting it to self-care, I think could be really fun and inspiring. And then you do have a strategy, (laughs) You know, when you are stressed out or you're experiencing something that you don't want to, right, you're, you're an, it's an impact to your body and your mind, then you have a strategy that you can rely on, which I think is really smart.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that, you know, we are, we're all, we're all so busy, we're also so, much on a treadmill, um, you know, most of us in our lives, where we just are on the go, and And I think a lot of us also really, you know, put others way before our our own selves, right? And and usually our self-care is the last thing on our list for most individuals that I come across. Um, And, you know, until you really invest in your own self-care, it's really hard to be a good, an amazing parent or a clinician or, you know, whatever job that you're doing I think that your own self-care has to be a priority.
0: Absolutely. And it's, it is kind of one of those bummer realizations that it's on you. You know, nobody's going to say like, today's the day you're going to have to care about yourself. You're going to have to muster up that inner courage and bravery and say, like, I really do care about how I feel in this world. Um, I wanted to know if there was anything from your practice, from your experiences, from life about like, what is the most inspiring story or experience that you've had where you've seen somebody turn around, you know, where you've seen somebody just really in a stressful situation or unhealthy or coming to you for certain reasons. And then you've seen an inspiring moment. Um, I think I have so many cases like that, Laura. <laughs> so it's
1: hard to tease them out. Um, but I, I, like I said to you earlier, I, um, I do a lot of, uh, my, my majority of my practice now is practicing obesity medicine. Um, and the first, um, oh, and obesity is a disease, it's a chronic disease, but it is a very complex disease. Um, And certainly we know that um, patients who are affected by obesity will develop a lot of other conditions that are, you know, related to their blood pressure being elevated, to diabetes and increased risk for heart disease. Um, And um, and the first things that I really try to address with my patients is, is really about their lifestyles, right? And oftentimes when people come find me, it's because it's not so much because of the, um, I guess the cosmetics of it, of, you know, of having gained all the weight, but really it's when they start getting, when they're diagnosed with other health conditions, right? Because that's when it, it strikes people that, oh, this is actually affecting my health and I'm gonna have to do something about this before, you know, X, Y, and Z gets worse. Um, So the first things that I, I, you know, will focus on is the lifestyle piece is addressing the six pillars of lifestyle medicine, as we call them, which is really addressing again, the sleep, um, physical activity, movement, the nutrition status, um, the stress management piece, which which is why I love being at the Benson Henry Institute. And then lastly, the social connectedness and, um, and, then, and also avoidance of any risky substance use. So um, obviously alcohol, tobacco, et cetera. So, you know, when you address these six pillars of lifestyle medicine with, and it is helpful for not just managing obesity, but of course, preventing and reversing many other chronic health conditions. Um, what I have found, um, one particular patient um, that I'm thinking about um, had come to me and he was the, he probably in his 40s, I wanna say, um, had two children and developed uh, type two diabetes and his um, it was pretty, poorly controlled his diabetes. So initially when he came to us, the thought was that he probably should go on insulin. And of course, immediately he just com- you know, completely turned gray and said, oh my God, absolutely not. Because he had seen what that had done to his um, you know, other med- uh, family members who had been affected with type two diabetes. Um, so we, we spent a lot of time talking about lifestyle. And, and what things he could potentially work on and change. And it was really tremendous to see how much that impacted him. And um, not only did he um, change his life completely, uh, started you know obviously physical activity, really started following a good diet plan, um, working on meditation, sleeping, and lost a significant amount of weight without any, Without any help of medications, really just did this on his own, but was able to reverse his diabetes. His numbers were completely normal, and um, so it was it was just remarkable to me. Um, and of course, we you know we see a lot of stories like that. But it, it just it, what's really unfortunate is that a lot of people. Um, will only come and seek that kind of help when they're already diagnosed with other health conditions. And I would just love to see this really become part of mainstream where people are really promoting, you know, prevention rather than treatment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Me too. (laughs) I just hope people really care about themselves, you know, and, and want to live the best healthy life that they possibly can. Everybody deserves that. Yeah. And I think everybody wants to, right. We all, um, obviously we all want to be healthy.
1: We all want to be happy. Um, I think a lot of people don't know where to always start and what's actually, um, um, preventing them from reaching some of their goals for the healthy behaviors. And I think that it's very reasonable that people speak to their primary care doctors, um, maybe seek out a health coach, you know, meet with nutritionists or you know, train with trainers, just whatever it is that they need to help them gain those tools of how they can get to some of those goals.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you work with people virtually too, or just in person? I do,
1: Well, right now um, everything is pretty much virtual. Um, so it, it is, um, it's mostly a virtual practice since COVID. Um, and then for health insurance reasons, I don't, I mean, I could really only see patients within Massachusetts because that's where I'm licensed.
0: Right, perfect. And last question, what is bringing you the most joy right now? Is having the balance in my
1: life. I, um, I treasure small things um, like when my son holds my hand or being present, which I have learned to do over the years. And, um, and that's another thing that I, um, when, You're under stress. It's really hard to be so present, and um, I love hugs (laughs) and just experiencing those hugs and being present in the moment, and then and then you know appreciating. So when you are you know noting down those appreciations and reliving those experiences, um, I I just absolutely love.
0: Well, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you for spending an hour with us today. Thank you for all this amazing advice. I know that people really value what you shared with us today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. This was wonderful. Thank you, friends, so much for joining Inner Guidance Daily Podcast. Stay connected with me on Instagram at innerrebel.co. Feel free to leave a review on iTunes for this show. Each review helps shape the podcast and reach more people. In service, gratitude, respect, and love. Thank you for being here and I'll see you on the next episode. Join daily, connect to your inner guidance.